There it goes. It's working now. Uh, on the show this week, we have Bob Zombie. <laughs> Mr. Bob Zombie. Director of House of a Thousand Corpses. The remake of Halloween. <clears throat> How do you feel about that remake? No, why don't you do Bob Bob Dylan Zombie? Bob Dylan Zombie? Nah. Um, the, uh, so he, the, he's pitching... House of a Thousand Corpses. What's the premise of that movie? There's a uh, thousand corpses in the house. <laughs> well, they uh, stop by a roadside attraction to get gas, and then they're looking for a real thrill, and then they get sent to a house full of, you know, hillbilly crazies. Oh, is that the the subtext of that movie? Is that there's hillbillies? Yeah, is Rob Zombie's usually into hillbillies. That is a common horror trope i feel like the hills have eyes was also kind of like that right? anti-hillbilly yeah what i mean let's peel back like the layers of horror here like what is it about the hillbilly <laughs> what is it about the noble scots irishman that that is so scary <laughs> they get so many frightened is it the authenticity thing is that what it is just too real for this world is this too like, real yeah <laughs> so it's like it's all about hillbilly authenticity. It's, like when they roll up and they're like cracking skulls and eating people and stuff. So it's too authentic. That's just too real for some. This goes back to what we were just saying, talking about at brunch. I think the most horrifying thing of all to Americans is that it is actually meeting the authentic. Yeah. Like, like the thing is, this is why this this is this is ultimately why Americans love. Things inside of things. We love jelly donuts. We love um, gushers, uh, Reese's cups. We yeah. love things inside of things. It's we, like, like, we like to bite in and juices run down our chin. <laughs> it's, yes. We, we, it's, Americans are so obsessed with the commodity form. It's like we have to physically metabolize the sort of mystified shell yeah. The mystified form of the thing. We have to know that we're getting something else too. Yeah. Like we, so, like we're getting the do- donut, but we also have to know that we're getting the jelly inside the donut. Or we're getting the peanuts, but we don't want normal peanuts. We want them covered in a chocolatey shell. Exactly. Everything has to have an outer shell that then you. It's, it's like trying to trick kids into eating vegetables. You know. Yeah. <laughs> That's what America's like. It's this, it's the same reason why we're all obsessed with fried food. Yeah. Because like fried. When you fry something, you're adding a layer to the outside of it yeah. that you're then getting to. And I think it's because Americans can never have enough. Yeah. And I think this is why we're constantly searching for the authentic, but we'll never actually get it. Because we know deep down that if we finally do get it, it'll be horrifying to us. We can't it, handle it. It'll be a, a guy who's a plumber who his entire vocabulary... His entire cultural vocabulary is completely slotted in with quotes from movies. All he's doing is... Uh, he loves the band, yes. Pinching his buddies on the arm and saying, if you're not first, you're last. <laughs> he's quoting Wedding Crashers. He's giving his friends titty twisters. <laughs> That's authentic. That's the real That's America, like, dude. Yeah, yeah, dude. He drinks Crown Royal, not bourbon. Yeah. Uh, like th- this is the thing. This is- <laughs> drinks like uh, like fucking black velvet and shit like that. What, what's black? Is that bourbon? 
We used to have a bootlegger named Trigger that would sell us a, he would get cases of natural light and he'd sell them for a dollar a piece, a dollar a beer. Yeah. This is before we were wet, so you would have to drive pretty far to get booze. But Trigger filled filled the gap and, and the need in the community. And uh, if you wanted the hard stuff, he had uh, black velvet. It was like one of those blended Canadian whiskeys. Mm. I think it's a Canadian whiskey. I can't, I can't remember. But it thing. was like a shitty blended Real whiskey. Real authentic people love blended Canadian whiskey. Right, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Canadian Club? Canadian Club. Yeah, there's a bunch of... CC. A bunch of stuff in that. Yeah, Crown Royal is like the, the higher end of that. When I was growing up, I remember my parents buying a bottle of Crown Royal, and like I remember it being treated around the house like it was Christmas Day. Because it, <laughs> it came in the bag. Yeah, the big velvet bag. I mean, dude, I, what I'm getting at here is that what Americans truly fear more than anything, it's why we're constantly invoking it. It's why the conservatives have fetishized it in the form of the ginger guy who's going to blow his vocal cords out yeah. in a few weeks. We're constantly searching for the authentic. Oh, dude, he's going to have nodes all over them bitches because yeah. all he's doing is yelling. Like me. Yeah. I've, Chris, I've convinced myself that I've got vocal nodes. He's got nodes, bro. Did you hear me last night? I couldn't talk. Dude, I'm losing my voice. Harry Nielsen, Adam. That's what killed him. Harry Nielsen died from notes? He died from vocal notes? Yep, they killed him. Harry Nielsen died from vocal notes? No. What, did they get infected, and then that's how you die? Or you just get so depressed because you can't talk anymore to your friends. I'm going to be honest with you. I read that on the bathroom wall last night, and I just ran with it without any sort of... Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's so, how we do things around here. The hillbilly, as invoked in House of a Thousand Corpses, what makes him so terrifying is his authenticity. Right, it's his banality. Well, it's like, it's, I wouldn't call him banal in that context because he is a flesh eating, hideous inbred. Yeah, yeah. I'm f- I'm fascinated with cannibalism. Not, as a, that's not my words. That's how the world would view it. That's how the world I'd view him as one of my brothers. Right. I mean, honestly, there's no, nothing more authentic than cannibalism. Nothing more authentic than being inbred either. Eating your fellow man while being inbred. Think about it, bro. Think, yeah, think like, about this is how we got. We all got here because of <laughs> like shit had to pop off somehow. We were living in the moment, fucking our sisters and eating each other. That's we didn't want it that way, but we did it to provide a better future. <laughs> you know, that, do you? Think, it was a selfless act. It was a selfless act. Do you think that, like, when people are in scenarios where they have to eat each other, do you think that they? Um, do you think it's kind of like a bit though? Do you think they're kind of like, oh, like I'm? Does the impulse for irony kick in when you have to indulge in some cannibalism? Like if if. <laughs> If we were part of a rugby team that crashed in the Andes, <laughs> and the three, uh, hypothetically, I don't know if anything like that's ever happened or not, and then we're sitting there, like, would we be cracking jokes about eating each other's ass? And then, like, in and a then, couple of days, there's going to cease to be jokes. But, but would you still be I'd joking? I'd hope we would hold out for a longer Well, time. no, I would hope that we would still be able to joke about it while we were doing it. Yeah. Like, ha-ha. <laughs> I'm cracking your femur open. I'm drinking the marrow out. I'm drinking the marrow out, bro. This was on you a second ago. Now it's my food. 
I just saying and that that wife is crazy, man. <laughs> like a second ago, I had a leg, and now you guys are eating it. It's fucking wild. Isn't it? I'm just saying, like you joke about things to make them a little easier to digest. Uh, you know, no pun intended. Yeah. But <laughs> that's what that's what that is truly. I think. And I don't want to say this and sound like one of these, like, yeah, you can't say anything anymore, but the humorless, joyless sort of strain of, like, nobody getting humor About anymore. cannibalism? Or anything. We should be really. able to talk about cannibalism. We should be able to talk about cannibalism freely. That it's a funny thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I think a lot of it is, like, you use humor and even dark humor to deal with things. Mm -hmm. We've not properly worked through a lot of our, everybody likes to throw around the world traumas, but you won't let me joke, and mm -hmm. you know what I mean? About eating you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> you won't let me joke about being inbred. You won't let me joke. <laughs> <laughs> Which, <laughs> probably my lived experience if you go back far enough. So that's the horror. That's the horror that, like, we're grotesques. We're grotesqueries, all of us. Uh-huh. We're all getting ready to go back to the dirt. We're from him, from whence we came. I, see, I, I referenced this last night, but this TV show I was watching, The Terror, it's based on a real historical thing. Uh, these two ships, the HMS, HMS Erebus and the HMS Terror, departed from England, I think, 1852, to discover a northern passageway through the Arctic. Because, like, they were all about that, right? Like, after they realized, like, you couldn't just go straight west and hit India, they were like, fuck. That gotta sucks, go around this bro. whole shit? That sucks. God damn it. I so, was hoping we'd just fall off one day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, think about how big of a... I mean, obviously the Europeans were, you know, raping, pillaging, greedy... Spreading disease. Yeah, but... So they they probably in a way relished finding the the North and South American continents, but if you were an, a guy for efficiency, it probably was a pretty big annoyance. If you were the logistics, if guy, you were the logistics boy. guy, like, God like, damn! <laughs> if it isn't one thing, it's a fucking other. <laughs> we have to sail around the fucking Horn of Latin America now, boys. Fuck. Thought we was just gonna be able to get it straight, boys. But I just ha just sitting down and exhaling the biggest sigh you've ever had. <sighs> yeah. So wait, you're telling me you you put you rub the bridge between your eyes. There's an entire landmass that we now have to get around. Uh, who who's on cartography? <laughs> who's doing cartography? <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> God damn it, you had one job to do. <laughs> like, yeah. And then and then it's complicated by the fact that your boss then says, yeah, well, there's also a lot of people living on it. And then you have to say, so now you're telling me we have to do... Public PR, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, boss, we have blankets. No, 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 no. We're not going to do, go that route. We're not. We're not doing the smallpox blankets. I know it was introduced in a quirky Shakespeare play a few months ago, but yeah, we're not doing that. We're, we're not, not animals. We're not. But then, uh, six months later, he's like, we're, we're animals. Yeah, we're animals. <laughs> and it turns out we're animals. Turns out we're. <laughs> yeah. 
Turns out we're a house of a thousand corpses as a nation. Turns out we're a bunch of goddamn <laughs> Spanish hillbillies. That's <laughs> what it turns out. Bunch of campesinos. <laughs> like, okay. These two ships departed. So, like, I've also got this book called The Worst Journey in the World by this guy named Ab. That'd, that'd be the inner journey. <laughs> For, yeah. for any man. The emotional journey. <laughs> the emotional journey. <laughs> it's it's by this guy named Absley Cherry Gerard. He was Say a... That ten times five. Yeah. What, his first name was Absley. I don't See, the former captain of Liverpool? <laughs> yeah. That was Stephen Gerard. Stephen Gerard, yeah. Uh, he um was a part of an expedition to South... Uh, to Antarctica in 1912 um and his expedition got stranded there and then he had to go back to england he managed to escape with his life and then managed to go back to antarctica and find his dead comrades you know what's wild is (laughs) there's very few circumstances in modern life and i feel like we've hit the very few circumstances in the last year where a man escapes with his life. Escapes with his life. Well, that used to be fairly normal. Yeah, that was that was like a formative experience. A harrowing escape was just a rite of passage for a boy. Right, like you, know? you have now. We have like you have pimples. You have you stand up and you got a boner in class. Yeah. Uh, you walk to the front of the class with the boner. Yeah. All the, your friends see the boner. Yeah. Everybody talks about it for a few days. You, yeah. There is a boner incident on the Wikipedia page of your teenage years. There's a the boner, t- the, the, <laughs> the boner incident of 01. <laughs> Who could have forgot? Who could have forgot? No one's forgetting. <laughs> it's someone's writing in your year end yearbook say, hey, you've come a long way since the boner incident of 01. Yeah. I tell you what, I remember my last boner incident was a few days before 9 11 in Rick Adams' class. And I'll tell you, after that day, <laughs> Hadn't had any more no one, no one remembered the boner incident. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, if, <laughs> hey, and thank God for that. <laughs> thank God, nine eleven happened. Right? Never lived that shit down. Some kid who has the most embarrassing experience of his adolescence, two days before nine eleven, like, man, no one will ever fucking, no one will ever forget this, and then kills himself on nine ten. Oh. If he had just hung, if he had just, just hung around, hung in there till nine eleven. Hung in there one more day, young or, or you know, you you do hang in there, and like you're the one guy who's like thank grateful for nine eleven. You're like fuck yes, yeah. Like you don't want to admit, like it's like the guy that was like twenty twenty was the best year of my life. Uh huh. Like yeah. you hate to admit it, but it's like yeah, they built me out of a lot of <laughs> built me out a lot. So, like that's the com- that's the average experience now for adolescents. But back then, it was a harrowing escape with your life. Yeah. So like the uh this guy he wrote an account I was I was reading this book because like currently I'm like in a bit of a no man's land in terms of like reading. Like I really don't want to read heavy theory or anything or, or history. But I also don't want to get back into fiction because then I, I have a problem because once I start reading fiction, I want to start writing fiction and that's bad because it's a waste of time because I suck at it. And I just like so it's like I have to I can't I can't enjoy it without wanting to do it. I can't enjoy it without wanting to do it. <laughs> which sucks. It's a curse. <laughs> because I'm very mid. But 
the thing is, is so I was like, what I need to do is I start, I need to start reading like memoirs, but not just any memoirs, memoirs of like explorers from the 19th century. Like, like, like <laughs> clear liars. <laughs> yes. All of them. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, back then they couldn't have foreseen a, a global encyclopedia that kind of blows your spot up and there was really no fact checkers no fact checkers you could say whatever the hell you wanted to say unless other people from your um trip survived in which case you would have to go one by one and murder them yeah so that like you have the only surviving story of what happened yeah I was, the, I was the only survivor and that also bolsters your legend too if you're the lone survivor also actually your whole party survived but you just shot them in the middle of the night so you could write a memoir yeah, a self-aggrandizing memoir well also because they turned you out the night before <laughs> they turned they turned your ass out <laughs> they passed you around <laughs> <laughs> All the entomologists and zoologists on your ex- scientific expedition yeah, yeah. turned your ass out. Yeah. You were the chip bussy. Yeah. I mean, I'm. I don't know. It's like I said to you guys last night. I I don't know if uh if I have it in me to spend like three years on a ship with nothing but dudes. Listen. Um, also. Dudes who are going crazy from lead poisoning because they 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 on the uh, Arctic expedition they soldered they tried to solder the tin cans with like the food provisions but like some solder got into the cans so everybody was getting really bad lead poisoning. Can you imagine being on a fucking ship with like no potable water really? Like you got to mm-hmm. like filter it out of the ocean or whatever. Yeah, the boner incident on this ship is much different than it is in a high school <laughs> yeah, class. That's true. You know this new film, uh, the vo- the maiden voyage of the Demeter. Yes, the Dracula. The Dracula origin yes. story. Yeah, that's really that was a true story. Yeah, uh, he got lead poisoning and scurvy, <laughs> and there was a boner incident, and all of a sudden, <laughs> the monster that lived inside became the monster that was on the outside. That's right. That's right. As a man can only take so much. Yeah. So there's like there's ties here because um. The Erebus and the Terror were actually sent to Antarctica first before they were sent to the Arctic Ocean. Um, before they got lost in the Arctic. This is very b- bizarre. I-, I just researched all this in the last few days. So the Erebus and the Terror were sent to Antarctica. There's two volcanoes named after them. There's a Mount Erebus and a Mount Terror. Mount Erebus is an active volcano. It emits gas... It emits gas like fumes that have gold flakes in them it's Man. like gold schlager volcano bro you remember that when everybody was drinking gold schlager yeah. and everybody would tell you it's got little flakes of it gold cut, so it like cuts, cuts a little you. bit and gets you drunker <laughs> that was whatever i said which i'd never which was insane like could you imagine going back in time with one of those things like going back to like the 16th century spain like you have of a, a huge jug like gallon jug of gold schlager and you walk into the spanish court like i found the fountain of youth they're like oh my god they're all getting fucked up with you on gold schlager because they're drinking gold and like i bet the way this works is it cuts your throat and the alcohol gets in there quicker (laughs) and then it cuts your pee hole when you're peeing it out so you get drunk (laughs) twice (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, it, cut, it just shreds your kidneys 
Yeah, like that. Does Goldschlager actually have gold in it? Honestly, dude, I think it does, bro. That seems like one of those things. Like, remember when everybody said Jagermeister had deer blood in it? That would be. What if it was just like aluminum that they painted gold and they put it <laughs> yeah. in the Goldschlager? Yeah. Uh, Mount Erebus spews gas that has gold flakes in it. It has caves on it that are of extreme interest to astrobiologists because it has bacteria in it that eats rocks. This is the interesting thing about life on other planets is yeah. that like there's finally give us a break. Some yeah. bacteria that eats other shit. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that's your life. You're like a little benthic, like a vent bacteria. Yeah. And you just feed off of fucking rocks. Yeah. Like that's honestly of all the, uh, like we talk about paleo diet. Yeah. Have anyone ever talked about rock diet? Mm-mm. Rock and gold slugger? <laughs> That's your diet? Very Spartan diet. <laughs> You're I, survi- I survived 400 days off nothing but benthic rock and gold slugger. <laughs> but, like, here's another weird tie. And as New Zealand commercial flight... Or passenger flight. What do they call that when you just get on the plane and go somewhere? Is that a commercial flight or is it a passenger? I don't know. Anyways. I guess all flights are passenger flights. (laughs) Anyways. A New Zealand plane went down on Mount Erebus in the 70s. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I did not word that well. Okay. It did not perform oral sex on the mountain. (laughs) It puts its nose into one of the caves. I swear to God, I'll never not be 13 years old. It It just kind of came down smooth and stuck its nose in the cave. In the cave. (laughs) Goes, vibrates up and down. Yeah. (laughs) Like, passengers, this is your captain speaking. We are trying to stimulate the clitoris of this mountain. (laughs) We are trying to make this mountain blow. (laughs) We are trying to... See, the, there's a common misconception that you have to start off rough. You have to actually work your way around the the pussy lips. There's other there's <laughs> other parts besides the. There's other parts. You have to pay attention to the whole vulva, the entire vulva. What we are going to do now? Everybody on plane is just like, what the fuck is going on? Hitting the oxygen mask. <laughs> the gold slogger oxygen mask. Anyway. The pl- a plane crashes into this mountain. A plane crashed into Mount Erebus, and um, like 200 people died. And they blamed it on the the, the pilot, like the airline and like the New Zealand government. <laughs> Heavy's shit. the head that wears the crown. Yeah, they said it was like the pilot's fault, but like it turned out that the government and like the airlines and everything covered up this massive like there was like a change in flight plans the night before, and the captain had no idea that he was flying into the mountain. It wasn't his fault at all. They, like, just pinned it all on this one poor like, bastard. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to make jokes about that because 200 people perished. But damn. This was a huge scandal in New Zealand, like, in the 70s and 80s. God. Crazy, right? Well, it, anyways. to guess tie enough it, time has elapsed. Enough to... time has elapsed that we can make <laughs> yeah. jokes about the plane going okay, down. I, was just, <laughs> I really just wanted to make sure it didn't happen last week or something. But... To tie it back to the Erebus and the Terror, the actual ships, 
So they went through, tried to go through the Arctic. Wait, where's Mount Terror at? That's in the Antarctica. So that's just, is that, is that a, also is that a King's Island? That's, no, that's also in Antarctica. That's close to Mount Erebus, but it's an inactive volcano. Oh, okay. Whereas Erebus is active. Yeah. It's got a lava lake in it, actually, bro. Erebus, you can okay. see it from space. You look down in there, see this little lava lake? Damn. A lava Spews lake. Use gold, lava yeah. lake. A lava lake's a kind of a crazy concept. It's just a bunch of melted rock and shit. Yeah. It's really hot. Damn. Yeah. Uh,. The uh, Erebus and the Terror, they tried to... And again, this is... There's a TV show based off... Of, like, that kind of is like a speculative thing. Like, what actually happened? Because no one knows. No one knows what happened to this crew. This crew the crews of this ship. They found, like, later, like, bones from the survivors that had, like, marks on them. And that's how they deduced that they had resorted to cannibalism. <laughs> God, man, you just... <laughs> Can you imagine, like, you've just withered away to nothing and you're going to die if you don't get some nourishment soon? You're like, God damn. Uh-huh. I know what the history books are going to say. <laughs> that's that's that what we, I'm that we resorted to cannibalism. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, how self conscious are you when it's you like resort? I graduated from Princeton, summa cum laude. <laughs> I did this, I did that, that I did, but all anybody's going to remember me for is it's the cannibalism. It's the fucking cannibalism. The cannibalism incident. He just stays up all night just. <laughs> dealing with that like god this is worse than the boner incident when i was in high school <laughs> thank god another tragedy <laughs> happened that obscured it just like the brightest minds of a generation that went through yeah cambridge and oxford and everything yeah. resorting into cannibalism yeah. that's what i'm saying like how self-conscious are you when you resort to cannibalism just like Ah, we're doing the thing, guys. <laughs> hey, yeah. we're doing the thing. Hey, hey, are you going on Instagram Live with your last remaining battery? Like, I did a thing. You got blood dripping down. <laughs> your friend just like crawling on. <laughs> just leaving big You've trip. got a like a hot dog bun, and in the middle is like all a, kinds of viscera, an arm and a hand. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm just, you know. Anyways. What I find most fascinating about the Erebus and Terror, the ships, not the volcanoes, is that they didn't even find these ships until 2014 and 2016. They found them in pristine condition, like sitting up on like ice, basically, in the Arctic. That's how like unexplored the Arctic is. They found these ships in pristine condition. They were up there the whole time. The, the crew were not in pristine condition. I, I take it. They were not. Based on what you said. <laughs> this is not like the Titanic. It's not like the fucking Earth Quest or whatever the fucking name of that crew was that went to go after the Titanic. These ships were up on land. Pristine condition. From fucking fifty years ago. Damn. That's longer than the Titanic. Yeah. That's crazy. Hell. Yeah. So untouched, untouched, just like they found Noah's Ark. Just on. like they found Noah's Ark. Yeah. yeah, on Mount, what was the name of that mountain that they said Noah's Ararat. Ark was on? Ararat. Was it Ararat? Ararat, or was that where Jesus was, where he had to, to wrestle with the devil? Yeah. Oh, there's so many mountains in the Bible because there's the mountain where Jesus has the argument with the devil. They get into, like, if it was a YouTube video, it'd be like, Jesus eviscerates devil. Yeah, Jesus eviscerates devil. <laughs> devil offers Jesus the world. And Jesus, Jesus' response, response eviscerates him. There was, that happened on a mountain. Then there was the mountain 
that uh, they put the Ark of the Covenant on, right? Then there was a mountain that they said the Ark, Noah's Ark, was on. Yeah. Then there was a mountain where Jesus was crucified, although that sounded more like a hill. That was Golgotha. Yeah, that was a hill. Mount Calvary. Yeah. That was more like when you live in a small town in like Mississippi, and there's a hill that raises up like 200 feet, and everybody calls it a mountain, but it's <laughs> and really... And you're like, well, it's just a big hill. <laughs> yeah. Really. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of hills in the Bible. Yeah. Is it ethical to call a, ma- a hill a mountain? Uh, we should ask the ethicists. Damn. Mm. I have um. Oh, that's why I was buzzing. Because I was touching the computer, and the computer is plugged into the wall. Are you grounded? I'm. We're gonna find out, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to read you something this week from the ethicist. Okay. Um. Oh, okay. Oh, man, there's some great new ones. We haven't covered the ethicist in a couple weeks. Is it ever morally acceptable to visit a Confederate historical site? <clears throat> Dude, I'm already... already I'm, I am already... Dude, I am telling you. Like, there are motherfuckers who, like... And I, I'm one of them. Like, you know, can't so much as touch a fucking pill without like then just spending three weeks like binging and just being like all right i'm off the wagon (laughs) (laughs) finally accepted three weeks yeah it's finally accepted three weeks later that's how i am with the ethicist i i open it one time and i suddenly like you're you're enwrapped (laughs) i need to read all of them dude okay i am i am addicted to moral quandaries as represented on the pages of the new york times to the ethicist Hit so. me with hit me with that one again. Which one? The the Confederate monument? Yeah. Is it ever morally acceptable to visit a Confederate historical site? <laughs> what is a Confederate historical site? That's an interesting um you could say the entire South is a Confederate historical <laughs> site. <laughs> yeah. We are sitting in currently a Confederate historical site. Yeah, the the question is, I recently moved back home to Biloxi, Biloxi, Mississippi. <laughs> Bil- Biloxi. Biloxi, Biloxi. Biloxi. I've never Biloxi. Known how, I've never known how to say it. <laughs> and I'm wondering about visiting the lavish grounds of Beauvoir, the historical site and home of Jefferson Davis. I abhor everything the Confederacy stood for and was proud when Mississippi changed our state flag a few years ago. To I remove. abhor everything the Confederacy <clears throat> stood for. Uh-huh. Except the main dude's house, <laughs> it seems pretty bitching. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what's happening down there. I'm gonna see the, I'm gonna see the granddaddy's quarters. Like I'd say, like, I abhor everything Nazi Germany stood for. I really want to see where Hitler was hanging out though. Yeah, taking dumps. Yeah. <laughs> like, I also enjoy history and historical sites, however, and Beauvoir is the biggest one in the area by far. This little fucking dandy motherfucker name is in his estate, Beauvoir. Beauvoir. Also Kentuckian. My problem is that the site charges an admission fee. The property is owned by the Mississippi Division of the Sons of the Confederate Veterans. And while See, I, there's the third. Yeah, that's is. the rub. There's yeah. the rub, buddy. No, man. You, you're going to have to... Uh, Forgo that. Or break in. Could you imagine <laughs> trespassing on the grounds and just looking at stuff? <laughs> they uh-huh. find you. Like, uh-huh. You're looking around. <laughs> just 
needed to see it. I accidentally did that at William Faulkner's house one time. Damn, really? I didn't break in. I didn't break into his house. I just kind of did the tour and forgot the part where you pay it first. I was like, oh yeah, here's yeah. Yeah, it's not really a story anyway. <laughs> I went. I went to uh, Hank Williams' childhood home in um, somewhere in Alabama. Yeah. I can't remember the name of that town. But um, we walked in. It was open. I was with some friends of mine. We walked in. It was open. There was no one up front. We were just standing there. We stood there for like maybe five, ten minutes and started looking around the rooms and everything. Eventually, this very old woman walks in from the back of the house, and she says, I'm sorry. I was out back watching the train cars pass. (laughs) (laughs) This muggy November weather gives me a case of the horribles. Just watching the train cars pass. <laughs> just watching the train cars pass. <laughs> you do a lot of that in the South. You just kind of find something boring to do. And you just watch it. And just watch it <laughs> and contemplate. <laughs> and think, think, how can I quit from killing myself? Um, the ethicist says, what can you say about the sons of Confederate veterans? Not long ago, the group exhumed the remains of Nathan Bedford Forrest and had them ceremonially reburied in Columbia, Tennessee, where the CSV owns and operates the National Confederate Museum. Um, <laughs> Al-Qaeda. <laughs> dude, that is really some, that is some, like, mystical racist shit. Like, exhuming the remains of Nathan Bedford Forrest and, like, relocating them to a place where you think they'll be safe. The only word to describe that is hainted. Yeah, dude. That's some bad stuff. Yeah. Were his bones consistent with cannibalism? (laughs) That's my question. Uh, Oh, dude, I think we have a non-profit ethicist question. Okay. Um, The previous columns question. Hold on. Let's go back here. My salary is too high. Is it wrong to stay in my job? This is a non-profit ethical question, bro. Oh, buddy. Less than a year ago, I switched from a job at a nonprofit whose mission I was deeply passionate about to a more senior role at a nonprofit in a different sector. I was very underpaid previously and nearly doubled my salary in this new role. Because this role is outside my field of expertise, however, my job satisfaction is not nearly as high as it was in my previous job. What worries me is that my salary is about 20 or 30% higher than comparable jobs at similar oh, <laughs> All right, fucking Dudley do right. <laughs> I'm worried I'm getting paid too much. I worry others. I'm, I'm taking other people's money. Though my employers hired me for my years of experience, it's now clear to me that the job doesn't actually require my level of experience. That's a hilarious realization that everybody eventually comes to at a nonprofit. Yeah, it's like, yeah, the thing you want to do when you work a nonprofit job is you want to. <laughs> You want to take advantage of all the benefits of that. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? The flexibility and whatever. But the thing you don't want to do <laughs> is play hooky too long to s- till your betters figure out everything runs hums along <laughs> fine without you. That's probably good advice at any job, but at a nonprofit. Yes. You know. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's more easy to see. Yeah. Uh, what worries me is that my salary is... Oh, wait, wait, I already read that. This nonprofit could easily pay a significantly less experienced person significantly less money to do exactly what I do. This leads me to the part I am culpable in. I do not need to work 40 hours a week to do my job well. And I don't. 
I meet every deadline, attend every meeting, reach every goal, but I also take long breaks and sign off early. In my previous jobs, my passion for the field made me take on extra tasks and work extra hours, but because I don't feel the same about this job, I do not go above and beyond. Am I doing... <laughs> Am I doing wrong by using up extra resources at a job where I am not willing to go above and beyond? Should I tell them they created an incorrectly scaled position? Wait a second. Wait a second. Hold on a second. Did the did the ethicist weigh in on either of these two? Yeah, he weighed in on this. On the oh, how are we, do, are we circling back to the... To the Confederate one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the Confederate one, that was it. That was... Uh, what did he say about it? He said... He said... Uh, Part of the standard myth of the lost cause. He just kind of goes and talks about how it's kind of fucked up to give the sons of the Confederate veterans money. Okay, good. Okay, now this one. Yeah. Sorry, I jumped. I jumped ahead. I, I saw. Not, right. Dude, I'm telling you, I have a problem. You have to. You I have a problem. You gotta catch them all. <laughs> I get it. I can't even. I can't even go about them coherently anymore. I just like I see nonprofit ethical thing, and I I like I go to it, like. Spotting a line of coke across the room. Like flies on pie. <laughs> Amazing. Anyways, the ethicist was right about that. Don't give the Sons of Confederacy your money. They also... The Sons of Confederacy gets a fuckload of money from, like, the Tennessee... You know, from the state <laughs> legislature. Probably right from the state legislature. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. What, what's your what's your ethical answer to the salary worker? Or to the non-profit worker? I wouldn't even say a word. I'd smack him in the back of the head. <laughs> Get the so you fuck spot up. somebody's tail, you don't say a word, you know? Yeah, it's like, why... Um, the, the the line that got me the most was... This is the type of motherfucker that finds a wallet with $2,000 <laughs> in it, turns it back in, they give him a stick of bubble gum <laughs> for it. Right, like, the, the thing you do is you take the $2,000 and you give the wallet back and you say, I just found it, like, that there was no money in it. Yeah, there's no money in it. Look, yeah, look just... there's nothing wrong about that. And then you say something about, you can't trust anybody these days, can you? <laughs> and you start hand-wringing about, like, wokeism. Yeah, you talk about crime. And they're like, crime okay, is okay well, thanks for, bringing my, thanks for bringing my wallet back. And then you just start saying, talk about how everything's going to hell in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> you know how like people that are guilty as hell try to throw you off the scent by overcorrecting and oversharing. Crime is out insane. It's right outrageous. Now. Am I right, brother? <laughs> yeah, it's outrageous right now. <laughs> the line that gets me is: this nonprofit could easily pay a significantly less experienced person significantly less money to do exactly what I do. Okay. Oh, another thing that he's doing is he's kind of like. He's kind of fucking it up for everybody. It's, that's in that, exactly what I was going to say. Know. It's like, you don't need to say that. Don't say that they should pay another person less money. People in nonprofits already get paid shit. Yeah. Granted, this is probably an executive director or something. Uh, <laughs> but That's Ben Jealous of the Sierra Club saying. Yeah. The ethicist says, it's a decent impulse to think about whether you're providing your employees with the best value for their money, but let's your employers. Hey, the, oh, the, 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 ethicist, the ethicist is like walking a line here. It's like, but uh, I mean, me, for example, I earn my salary every week with this column. Like he probably does get paid like a hundred K to be, to answer, to field ethical questions. That's my dream job. My dream job is people 
Do you want to be there? I is, he needs be, to watch his ass because you're, you're on his I'm heels. I'm hot on his heels. Nah. I love that he says it's a decent impulse to think about whether you're providing your employers with the best value for their money. Never do that. If you're a worker, never consider whether you are providing your employers with the best value for their money. Yeah. Their money is your money, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The thing is, if they're not giving you 100% of your money, <laughs> I hate to break this to you, they need to be considering whether they're giving you bang for your money. Uh, he said, let's put the issues you raise in perspective. First, your job apparently makes a meaningful contribution to the work of a worthwhile, worthwhile organization. You're not marketing Marlboros. Your organization <laughs> has a mission that, though it isn't close to your heart, represents a social good. Second, you're doing your job well. It doesn't take you 40 hours a week to do so, but you, that must be true for lots of people. Uh, third, salaries for occupations are distributed around an average, and it's customary for those with more experience to be paid more. The real problem is that you're not as excited by this job as you were by your previous one. So a big question is whether you could reconfigure your work to make it more rewarding, both to you and to the organization. You think your employers would be better off hiring someone else to, to do what you're doing for less money? That's true only if you take the job's remit as fixed. One way to contribute to an organization is to shape your job around your talents. Good managers know this. Thanks, ethicist. Thank you, ethicist. People did weigh in. Readers responded to that one. They had a lot of thoughts. They said... Uh, they, they said, I disagree with the ethicist. The salaries of nonprofit executives are published on Charity Navigator, and I have discontinued supporting nonprofits that pay excessive salaries. Be a hero and offer to take a pay cut if you deem your salary is excessive. Dang. Interesting. So people are firing back at the brass. They are. Yeah, the ethicist, he opened, he... Just opened a can of worms He there. did, he really did. Um, what else do we got on the... I dated a celebrity, do I have to tell my wife? Huh. Depends on the celebrity, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's like this is I love when these like turn into humble brags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bagged Selma Hike in the nineties. Is that something I should disclose to my employer? <laughs> and that's I and I will say to them what what Jesus said to the Sanhedrin council in the Bible. The people that would, you know, go and make a big show of their prayers and their piety. Uh huh. You have your reward. <laughs> <laughs> I've been married for nearly 40 years, and for no particular reason, neither my wife nor I felt compared to share much about our prior love lives. There was nothing much noteworthy to share on my part, but that changed about three years into the marriage. A young woman with, whom, a young woman with whom I had a summer-long relationship as a teenager was beginning to make waves in the music industry, waves that would continue oh, to I the point... Oh, I thought he was like, <laughs> three years into the marriage, I had an affair with... Uh, uh, I had an affair with Mandy Moore. <laughs> Three years into our marriage, I traded my wife in on a newer model. That newer model, uh, pop, burgeoning pop star Stacy Diorico. <laughs> was she Christian? Yeah, you remember? She was. She had yeah, like one kind of crossover. She had a crossover hit. Um, waves that would continue to the point where her music is now instantly recognizable to most people. This, you did this is a humble brag. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I made every girl. Yeah. I made every girl I was ever with squirt, and then you know, but I never told my wife. Should <laughs> I tell her? Should I tell? <laughs> should, should I tell my <laughs> wife that <laughs> women the world over consider me a fantastic lover? 
<laughs> I left a trail of squirt behind me for 20 years. Everywhere I went, there'd be squirt. <laughs> Let's go. Just the humble brag. I love it. I'm in the habit of playing this artist's music, in part because of the personal connection and memories it evokes. Uh, Dude, well, what? Hey, that's a... <laughs> Dude, like this is absurd. I'm not going to judge anybody, but you're dangerously close to the Jonathan Saffron forward territory there. Dangerously. <laughs> not long ago, my wife remarked that I am a quote big fan. I smiled, nodded, and changed the subject. <laughs> this guy's such a cornball. My fear is that sharing this connection with my wife would jeopardize my continued enjoyment of this artist's body of work. Bro, she's literally <laughs> not going to give the first shit. She's just going to be like, damn, that's crazy. I love, though, that the choice... But, like, also, this guy's, like, 35 and, like, losing his hair or something. Right? I, want you to, I want you to think about what choice he just set up here. I don't think he realizes it. He's like, there's Either, only two, show, yeah, two ways out of two this. ways in my marriage of 40 years... <laughs> Or continue enjoying this artist's music. I, I, don't, I know it's probably Ariana Grande. <laughs> now she like dates a bunch of dudes. Well, like, he says I've been married for nearly four. This years. This is the guy. You have to triangulate it to forty years ago. Like who were some burgeoning artists forty years ago? Forty. Forty is what he says. I've been married for nearly forty years. Forty. Forty. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't, I, something I'm not understanding here. So like. Mid eighties, Madonna. It could have been. Madonna. Wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. That changed how many years ago? Three changed three years into his nearly forty years marriage. Oh, so this was yeah. This was this was someone in the, the late eighties. The, the time to say that was when um, it was when uh, yeah, like when that song first came. I was like, damn, you know what's crazy? Like we dated briefly in high school. <laughs> Can you imagine like what? being 40, 40 years, years? years and being like, listen, I have something I have to tell you. <laughs> As I have hated keeping this secret from you for so long. But, but yeah, I did date Pat Benatar for three weeks in my teen years. <laughs> like the secrets people hold on to. Yeah. And that's his secret. That like he... Kylie Minogue looked at him one time on the subway. He's like, yeah, I fucked her. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't tell my wife. Listen, we met eyes and we had a connection. (laughs) Oh, man. He says, no jealousy, I'm sure. Just gentle ribbing I could do without. An ethical omission? Okay, so the ethicist responds. So for decades of married life, you never mentioned your summer with, well, readers can fill in their fave from the category of famous female pop singers who emerged in the mid-80s. This is surprising, and yet the liaison doesn't have the kind of inherent significance that would make its disclosure obligatory. Every couple develop a cultural microclimate, their own set of expectations, conventions, values. Whether your failure to mention this relationship is ethically troubling depends on the norms of your microclimate. Some couples believe in telling each other every detail about their past, you when your wife have settled <laughs> I, into a different habit. Not me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's many things I just want to keep married. <laughs> so the question is whether your wife would feel betrayed and hurt by your having kept silent about this summer of love, or whether, as you suggest, she simply would be amused. Assuming your assessment is correct, you could offer her a deal. Tell her your tell her you'll explain why you're fond of this music, 
but only if she promises not to tease you about it. If that doesn't strike you as a good plan, well, you can carry on without much remorse. Plenty of people would have long dined out on such a connection. It's possible to admire the fact that you've never been tempted to do so. Listen, honey, hey, listen, don't, honey. Don't, don't fill his head with that. There's that's, <laughs> that's bad advice. Listen, baby, there's something I've been meaning to tell you, and I'm sorry. I feel I've betrayed you over 40 years. But I did go watch Return of the Jedi with Sheila E. <laughs> Just like, I feel utterly betrayed, Stephen. I've, uh, well, this marriage is over. <laughs> this marriage is over. It's over. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, you want to go live the glamorous life with her? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but <laughs> here's what you've thrown away. 40 happy years. <laughs> what a bozo. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? Not, not a bozo, just a cornball. Let's see. Jesus. Um... My best friends are taking Ozempic. Can I share my disapproval? My wife lives in a... Oh, wait. We've covered that one. We have a Taylor Swift concert crisis. How do we solve it? Oh, boy. Can I resell my Taylor Swift concert tickets for thousands of dollars? Look at all these fucking Taylor Swift ethical dilemmas. Um, well, that is a that is a, uh, a topical question because, you know, uh, a lot of people are... Taylor Fever's in the air. Yeah, dude. You know? It is an ethical dilemma. It's an ethical morass. Isn't that what they call it? A quagmire? A, 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 a quagmire. A morass. A morass, even. <laughs> <laughs> a thief returned my stolen bike. Do I owe him a reward? Oh. My 25-year-old son was using my mountain bike for his grass-cutting business when it was stolen. He felt bad. I was mad. I ran an ad. <laughs> he felt bad. I felt mad. I ran an ad. Bike. Oh my God! <laughs> they didn't. They didn't. Mountain bike stolen. Five hundred dollar reward. No questions asked. To my surprise, I got a response from someone, and we set a time to meet. Then I became worried that I was being set up to be robbed, so I called my son. Next thing I knew, there were six hulking twenty-somethings tagging along with me in the minivan. <laughs> the I don't like where this is going. At the agreed-upon meeting spot, the guy appeared with my bike in hand. I got out, then the six big guys got out, and while I'm looking the bike over, they said in no uncertain terms happen. that it was not necessary for me to pay for the bike. The guy looked scared, and I wanted things to end safely, so I peeled off half the stack. How about 250 <laughs> The guy took the money and ran off. Should I have instead given him... Peeled off half the stack. <laughs> Isn't that a quarter of a stack if it's 250 <laughs> I peeled off about half a rack. <laughs> I like the reason I love the ethicist is because it offers an insight into the minds, like the neuroses and anxieties and problems of the type of person that <laughs> actually bothers to ride into this. The type of person who okay doesn't know that a stack is a thousand dollars. Who who doesn't know that like who 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 that would by this by his calculation <laughs> Andre three thousand be Andre six stack. <laughs> Who, in in a situation like this, would get his son's football buddies to back him up as bodyguards? <laughs> Boys, hey, listen, I need I need three to six street toughs to hop in the van <laughs> with me. We're gonna go, we're gonna go shake this guy down. Just the squarest people on the fucking planet, I guess, is what I'm saying. Oh my god! The practice, the ethicist responds. The practice of offering no questions asked rewards can be a useful one. The victims get their goods back for less than it would cost to buy replacements. 
The thieves get some money and pay no penalty, whereas simply putting the goods on the market may put them at risk of exposure and punishment. Win-win. On the other hand, the practice may itself promote petty theft. An opportunistic thief can think, hey, maybe they'll offer me a no-questions-asked reward. This is why many governments are reluctant to pay off hostage-takers, leery of encouraging more of the same. (laughs) The stakes are far smaller in cases like yours, but the same logic argues against honoring the practice. It's also relevant that by your account, your six-man football team wasn't threatening violence. It was convened to prevent it. Yeah, I don't. Notice that these arguments aren't about the rights and wrongs of a particular case. They're about the merits of having a rule. A rule that says you'll honor this practice or that you won't. So-called rule utilitarians. This is why I I would make a good ethicist. I'm not going to throw anything at you about so-called rule utilitarians. You're not going to get anything of that from me. No. How would you approach this question? I think that... So, there's several things you got to do. First, (laughs) you just guild them. Well, Dave, you feel big like a big man now that you and <laughs> you and your band of thugs crack some skulls for this, this butt. Belittle him and condescend to him. Yes. And then what's hilarious? You feel like a big man now. He's like, I'm not giving. I'm not meeting your demands. What you asked for, I'll meet you halfway. Like, yeah, like in the end, like why bring all those football dudes if you're still going to give them 250 bucks? Like, be consistent about it. If you're going to shake them down. If you're going to use gangster <laughs> tactics. Yeah, cons- cons- or commit to it. Yeah. Don't. It's, like, it's like Jack in Breaking Bad. Yes. When he shoots Hank. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry if you've not watched that. Oh, shit. You just Damn. spoiled the whole show, bro. Well, Hank doesn't die. He just gets a little owie. Yeah, he gets, a little, he gets a little Fauci out. Ew, I sure you sure. <laughs> um... Though I guess the way I would handle this is yes, uh, you're right. Like, you you came to me with an ethical question about the thief, but I am going to turn it back around on you. Was it ethical to enlist those twenty somethings in a potentially <laughs> those twenty something football players in a potentially violent situation? What if the thief came armed and he mowed all of you and your sons and your and his friends? Down? <laughs> what is that responsible? Or what if Donald Trump was the back thief? Or so you got six beautiful boys in uniform. Right? <laughs> no, you got. They, look, they all look great. You look like shit. They all look great. <laughs> big muscles on these guys. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Trump turns them on you, and they just beat the hell out of you. <laughs> yeah, he tur- Yeah, he's able to manipulate them into thinking you're the bad guy. This could have gone so many different ways, and I think that's irresponsible on the on the part of the bike owner oh man i mean i to me you gotta take matters into your own hands to me this is like death wish yeah. go buy a fucking gun like a man yeah when you walk up to him in the park blah blah blow his fucking head off yeah. and then take your bike and your 500 dollars <laughs> i wonder if, i wonder if anybody's ever confessed to a murder in the pages of the ethicist like kind of coded, dear ethicist. Uh, uh, my cousin Chuck took care of the thing that time, and uh, what if that thing was? Who knows? I mean, nobody knows who right what it could have been. Me and my friends back in 1988, one of which went on to become a mob boss in the greater Boston area, yeah. while I became a meager laundromat owner under his auspices 
we committed a murder. We committed an act of of extreme violence that rent apart a community. You're just describing the plot of Mystic River. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the I'm... Sean Penn movie. Yeah, Mystic River. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Dear emphasis, me and some friends of mine started a prison football team <laughs> with Burt Reynolds. One time. Um. All right, this is the one I was saving. Like, I really wanted to do this one. I've not read it, though. I don't know how good it is, but this, the the headline sure is great. Um, I've hidden my trust fund for 15 years. Do I finally tell my spouse? I have strong feelings on this one. I did see this one. I am a 44-year-old man and have been married to my spouse for 10 years. We've been together for 15 Unbeknownst to my spouse, I have a trust fund that provides me with a monthly income of $25,000. Jesus, that's half of what I make in a year for all of those. That's actually more than half of what I make in a year for all of those wondering if I'm... Please up your Patreon. (laughs) Those of you wondering if I'm rich off Patreon. When we first met, I said that I worked as a consultant and they have never questioned this. My spouse, a dedicated doctor, works long hours and doesn't like to discuss work. I hate to break this to you, but if she has half a brain and you say I'm in consulting, she already knows she don't have a job. (laughs) She just doesn't want to hurt your feelings. (laughs) Okay. Every rich dickhead I've ever met, and you ask what they do, this I'm in consulting. Consulting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Over the years, over what? Yeah, a little this, a little that. You're either you're either in the mafia or you're fucking got a dress for You know. How much money is that a year? What is twenty five times like three hundred thousand? Right, that's incredible, dude. Holy fuck, twenty five thousand. Life sucks so bad. Imagine if you had a trust. Imagine if you got twenty five thousand dollars just dropped in your lap every month out of the air. I know, I'd be so sick. The the ethical dilemma here is not telling your spouse. It's whether you should have a trust. Whether you should jump off a fucking bridge for doing nothing <laughs> for for basically being a layabout. <laughs> um. Over the years, I've repeatedly assured my spouse that they don't need to work as my income is secure and stable. They are, however, passionate about their career and have chosen to continue (laughs) working. Yeah, yeah. I just went to school for eight years just to (laughs) fucking, yeah, just to, what, hang out with you all day? (laughs) Yeah. I actively serve on various boards, but I have never held a full-time job and don't plan to. (laughs) This guy rules, like... I'll be honest with you. I love this gravy train. I don't plan on stopping it anytime soon. Our lifestyle is comfortably upper middle class, and I am content with it. My dilemma is whether I should... Comfortably upper middle class. I don't know how you do this. Okay, my dilemma is whether I should reveal the truth about my trust fund to my spouse. spouse, My family... (laughs) To my spouse. My spouse. My family members have always advised against disclosing our financial situation, but the weight of this secret is becoming difficult to bear. Why he doesn't he doesn't explain why he's kept it a secret? Why she's a doctor? Why would she give a fuck? Why is he keeping this a secret? Also, too, here's my question: Is like, do you think she's going to respect you less? I mean, she probably will if she kind of knows the trip, but she probably like, suspects it. She probably already thinks you're dirt. She, I mean, like you're probably just a placeholder. Like while you know what I mean, if you're a consultant layabout who makes three hundred thousand a year because your dad owned like Exxon Mobil. Also, here's the here's the litmus test. Here's what I would t- tell this guy. Okay, 
kind of be a fly on a wall at a party sometime uh-huh. when somebody asks her what her husband does. And if she's on skates, <laughs> then you'll know. But if she just says full-throatedly, oh, he's a consultant, and da-da-da-da-da, you know. Uh-huh. Nothing to, nothing to disclose. Yeah, that. my husband's a little bitch. <laughs> yeah. That's his job. He's a little bitch. <laughs> yeah, my husband's kind of a pussy boy. He, he poops all day. <laughs> he just yeah. poops all day and plays video games. He's yeah. a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she says that with a big smile on her face. What? Meanwhile, what? I save lives. <laughs> yeah, like, why? Like, this is what I'm saying. Like, she probably already looks down on you. Yeah. So she's a doctor. She like, she probably has an inflated sense of her own self worth. All right. All you probably right. don't even really factor into her world in any way. <laughs> right. She right. looks at you like a bag of meat she wants to cut open. <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna practice on you, and then one day they're gonna find your bones with evidence of cannibalism. cannibalism. I was like, I don't. What I'm not understanding is why he can't tell her. I mean, like, I understand that he can't tell her. But why? I like that the guy has shame about it. Well, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, at least he has some shame about, like, being a fucking, just fucking layabout. Well, and, like, what level, um, what degree of, like, blood money culpability are we talking here? Because if it's a trust fund, you have to assume that, like, he's an heir of some, like, corporate, uh, lineage i would assume like uh, he's, he's like a very minor rockefeller or something right 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 right, right. Like, a third cousin he's like a third cousin twice removed <laughs> of jd rockefeller so. so it's like yeah like how much blood are we talking like that is he being bought off with like yeah. so i don't understand why he can't tell her i don't understand why he thinks that a doctor would be opposed to that in any way you know what i'm saying Here's my hunch of how this is going to happen. He goes, says, honey, I got to tell you something. I have a trust fund, and I don't really do anything meaningful for society. Uh-huh. And she's going to be saying, well, did you get the kids at three? Oh, shit. <laughs> She'll forget about it by dinner time. Yeah, like she's Probably. like, oh, well, I kind of figured you just <laughs> did something. Right, because she knows you're too big of a pussy to be in the mob. It's like my my husband's not out there like shaking people down and like nah. cleaning cleaning up, nah. after you know dissolving bodies in like tubs of lye. Yeah, my husband's not doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The ethicist says avid moviegoers are familiar with men who, like you, only pretend to have jobs. <laughs> Think of Laurent Conte's Time Out, Kayoshi Kurosawa's to- uh, Tokyo Sonata, or John Wells' The Company Men. Unlike those fellows, you're not hiding a hard luck story. Rather, the opposite. <laughs> you're a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Rather, the opposite. <laughs> but you must be aware that the normal understanding of marital intimacy includes transparency concerning the basic facts about your economic life. You won't be surprised then. <laughs> That's a fancy way of saying it. Baby, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't have a goddamn <laughs> pot to piss in. <laughs> I don't understand how they do taxes together. Like... Wouldn't she find out that way? Is this like he's getting? Maybe 20- they file separately, or I guess I don't know. Um, you won't be surprised then to hear me say that your spouse is entitled to know you have a large private income, no job, and no inclination to get one. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Like why? I don't understand. Like there, there's so many other things going on in this relationship. <laughs> what's, the, what's the 
that thing. You can't hit me. I'm just a I'm just a little boy. <laughs> That's what I would do if I was him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd yeah. say yes, I have a large uh income I've been hiding from you. I uh don't plan on changing that. This is how I'm gonna live. Uh don't be mad at me. I'm just a little I'm just a little <laughs> boy. <laughs> well I don't understand like <clears throat> There's clearly some, yes, yeah, some things going on in this relationship to where, like, if he has no job but is getting a lot of money from somewhere, why hasn't she asked yet? Why is she not curious? Yeah. Or or is she? Like, why, you know, has he lied about it? Has she ever asked? Like, where do you get, how do you get in, well, I guess what I'm saying, how do you get into a long-term relation a marriage <laughs> i wish i was a scout's friend and i kind of knew from the identifying factors i would go to her i'd be like listen i don't tell you anything but dave's in the mafia he's going to tell you that he's got a trust fund he doesn't he doesn't there's no trust fund. no he's in murder he's for hire <laughs> murder inc. yeah he's a part I, of murder inc. i hate to tell you this you're married to a bad dude <laughs> She looks across the room and he's like playing dominoes. <laughs> and it would be the, it'd be the biggest favor you could ever pay this guy. He's just like a boring. Nothing. Yeah, she, she, you would instantly become more attractive to your wife in that moment. Yeah. She's like, fuck, I gotta fuck. He, he'd, be like, he'd be like, man, she sucked my fucking dick so good last <laughs> night. And I, and I would be like, you're welcome, bro. He'd be like, you're like, what? Oh, I told her you're an organized crime. <laughs> She thinks you're cool now, actually. <laughs> yeah, I saw him one time. He murdered three men in a Russian bathhouse with his bare hands while he was naked. It was crazy. Have you crazy. seen that movie, Eastern Promises? <laughs> it was just like that. <laughs> well, it's Vigo Mortens. No, just, it's not Vigo Mortens. It, it is. It, yeah, Vigo Mortens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a first date wasn't the right moment to bring up your trust fund. Still, by the time things got serious with this person, you should have certainly <laughs> fessed up. As I've remarked before, secrets tend to grow more burdensome the longer they have been kept. Facts that one could have casually revealed on day five of a relationship can become shattering on day 500, let alone day 5,000. So, like, you can compare this one to the very first one we read about the guy who had a fling with, uh, you know, Whitney Houston in the summer <laughs> of 1987. <laughs> That's what I said, honey, listen. <laughs> I wanted to dance with somebody in the summer of 87. I wanted to feel the heat with somebody. Which which one of those with two? With somebody like Whitney Houston. Which one of these two men is the bigger bitch? Like because like both of these are secrets that are so inconsequential in in the confines of the relationship. You would assume, I guess, unless unless your doctor wife is just like a fucking hate people who have trust funds and sit on their asses all day and that would be funny if he was like getting like, ready to tell her and then she just goes she just comes on and was like listen listen to what, what melissa at work told me can you believe this she was dating this guy for like 10 years and he had a trust fund that didn't tell her. Like I would kill somebody. Like, He's like, that. "Oh yeah, that was that's bad." Yeah, <laughs> what kind of asshole does what that? What kind of asshole would do that? <laughs> Goes to the garage. Stupid, fucking stupid. You should have just told her on day five. You're fucking loaded, bro. 
Imagine having that as your secret. The fun You're secretly is- wealthy as fuck. You can't acknowledge it to Like, you can't you benefit can't from it at all. It's its own prison. Like, you can't... You can't even, imagine being rich and you can't even floss. What the fuck are these people, dude? Well, the, fun, the thing about it is, is he has... Ostensibly been telling her a lie for many years yeah. that he is in consult. He's not right. Like it is a, like it is a deception. It is. You're right. You know that is true. He has been lying. <laughs> oh man, how long have they been married? Did he say fifteen? They've been together fifteen years. Married for ten. Oh, that's tough. A fifteen-year lie about what you do. I had a cousin one time that. Lied about having a job for two years, and he was just going to the casino every day and play cards. You can keep that up for probably two to three years. But. <laughs> yeah, well, eventually he had, he had to come clean. He's like, it was the most humiliating thing in my life. Because <laughs> it's one of those things, like, if I would have told her after a month, it would have been fine. But after right. two years. After two years. We had to work through that a little bit. <laughs> well, after 15 years. <laughs> you just look up one day and, oh, yeah, wait been living <laughs> well she probably knows it's kind of like it's kind of like if um the ethicist received a, a letter one day that was like <sighs> so i am a prominent civil rights activist in the greater spokane washington area i sit on the board of the naacp i am a vocal uh, you know militant activist for the rights of black people in this country the problem is that i've been pretending to be a black person <laughs> for the last 15 years it's like rachel dole is all right so thing to the end <laughs> yeah. like but that's the thing like everybody knows the answer everybody knows already that she's not actually black yeah. it's kind of got to be the same thing with this right everybody's kind of like come on steven we've known for years yeah you could have just told us you were rich yeah you could have been living it up. You could have had a yacht. He's like going out of his way. To like this guy's actually wasting his precious time on earth just like trying to prove he's not rich. Right. Oh, man. This just says you shouldn't wait any longer. It will only be worse if your spouse stumbles on the situation later. But don't expect an easy ride. Your spouse will have reason to wonder what else you have been hiding and why you didn't feel you could trust them with the truth. And then you'll both have to reflect on how your deception was eased by your spouse's apparent lack of interest in how you spend your days. <laughs> exactly. It might help to take these issues to a couple's counselor. In a movie version, the third act reveal might be that your spouse, too, has a pretend job, but in real life... <laughs> she was not really a doctor. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I have something after she, She's you. like, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a doctor of philosophy. <laughs> I have a doctor, I have a PhD in philosophy. I've... I've when you drop me off at work, you drop me off at the hospital, and I wait till you drive off, and then I walk to the university. <laughs> I'm a doctor in sociology. But in real life, I would anticipate hurt and confusion, not comedy. One way we violate the tenets of a trusting relationship is by failing to extend trust in the first place. Oh, shit. Uh... Well, that's the ethicist. I think that about brings us up to speed on all the eth- the most recent ethicists. <clears throat> the readers responded to the bike thief. 
So Bruce writes, two wrongs don't make a right. If you promise to pay, then pay up. If you don't want to get involved with criminals, then don't agree to meet them. Oh, man. If you are afraid you'll be assaulted, then spend the money on a new bike and write the situation off as bad luck. Yeah. Also, it's like... <laughs> Bruce is right. <laughs> if you're the guy that could just peel off a, well, what you call a half a stack, but it's really a quarter of a stack. <laughs> you're the type of guy that can just go buy a new trek, you know? That's right. If a person promises a reward, Jerry says, if a person promises a reward, they are obligated to live up to their word. Not doing so is dishonorable and suggests that both the victim and thief lack integrity. I think that this issue of integrity is a matter separate from whether the thief theoretically deserves to be rewarded for stealing and returning the bike. I do agree that if you say you're going to pay the thief, you don't get to go there and then retroactively be like, oh, yeah, fuck you. I got my sons muscled up. Hot boys in the back of the car. <laughs> now I'm going to give you two half. You don't get to go. You don't get to decide in the moment. If you if you said up front you were going to pay him five hundred, yeah, you should have made that decision. You should have said, "We'll see when we get there." I got the muscle boys, so I'm going to. I tell you what, I'll give you half. Now scram. <laughs> and then the guy's just like, "Well, fuck, I hasn't come up." Oh man, <laughs> I've got no overhead in this venture right now. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Imagine the bike thief's just like very confused. <laughs> he probably didn't. He probably wasn't even a thief. He probably found the bike. Yeah. Just wanted a five hundred buck reward. Yeah. And then was like, "Oh my fuck! I'm gonna get my ass kicked for doing the right thing." <laughs> I don't know. Do you have any th- thoughts of advice for our? I think that about yeah. No, I guess that about covers it. There's others. My friend is mistreating her nanny. Should I say something? Does my fiance love me or does he just want U.S. citizenship? <laughs> Can I use chat GPT for the tedious parts of my job? What's the Taylor Swift concert crisis? Let's just see real fast. Let's just dip our toe in real fast. Okay. I have a problem. You're going to have to take this computer out of my hands. <laughs> I think I'm going to pry it out of You're going to have to pry it out of my hands. We have a Taylor Swift con- concert crisis. Uh, three friends and I were able to buy only two tickets to the Taylor Swift Eras Tour. Resale tickets are now absurdly expensive. Our dilemma is how to decide which two friends get to go to the concert. Whoa. Although all four of us would love to go to the concert, one friend and I are arguably the biggest Swifties of the group. How do you... Quantify yeah. that. How do you quantify how big of a Swiftie you are? That said, I already attended an Eras Tour concert last month with my family. I would still love to go again, but maybe I should recuse myself given that my free three friends haven't been. It's also worth noting that there was an unequal effort put into procuring the tickets. For example, two of my friends didn't submit to be entered for registered fan status, which could have improved our odds of getting tickets. Is there a fair way to divide the tickets, or is the best option to choose a random number generator? Here's what I say. I think, again, I have to go back to Scripture. I think what you need to do is the two friends that help the least need to cut themselves in half. <laughs> <laughs> And Down the, the the length of their body or, like, at the waist? Right. And then everybody, the four of you, everybody, a half of everybody half gets of everybody to go. Half everybody gets to go. Gets to go and do errors. You combine the two halves. Yeah, right. That's the only democratic way to do this. The Bible honestly had the best. Yeah, it was like cut off your hand. Common sense solutions for a changing world. That's what the Bible's subtext should be. Or the little... (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, That's incredible. Well, 
Okay, I think that about covers it for us. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the right thing now. I'm I have control over this. It does not have control over me. The ethicist. I have control over the ethicist. I can stop whenever I want. Sure you can. I can stop whenever I want. I know you can. So I'm gonna go ahead and stop it right now. Uh thanks for listening, audience. If you would like to hear more of this program, Tom and I you know, we, we had a strict policy of not discussing the uh, the neo-Confederate uh, Dobro player in the woods on the main feed because we, we want to keep that on Patreon. you got to pay for those takes. Yeah, you want that shit you're going to have to pony up for. Yeah. Why should Oliver Anthony be the only one to <laughs> profit off his <laughs> ascent? I did see a tweet. Oh, I think it was the Saving Country Music dickhead who was like, now everyone will jump in and profit off of you know, get their own take in and profit off of this viral moment. And everybody in the comments was like, like you're doing right now. <laughs> like you're doing. Well, I was doing it before anybody else was doing it. So, um, um, uh, it's like, yes, dude, that is exactly what I'm going to do. Who fucking cares? That's the whole, that's the economy we're in now, my friend. Oh, boy. So, anyways, before we go, I would be remiss not to mention Ego's brunch in a jar. Uh, Eggos, for those of you that might not know, but maybe you'll know by the time this airs, is getting into the booze space Uh with a um, thing that's a mason jar where they apparently um, put some sort of boozy beverage in there. But it looks like eggnog. Yeah, I think it is. And you can can garnish it with epic bacon. But you can put bacon in it and an orange. Yeah. He's been having an or no, a waffle. A waffle. A waffle. Uh, but the one of the first flavors they're rolling out is called Appalachian Sipping Cream. <laughs> okay, I have a lot of questions about this. Obviously, I am not native to Appalachia. Lived here for over a decade. Don't you forget it, pal. Never have encountered anything called Sipping Cream. Oh, you know, outside everybody's a, got their sipping Outside cream. of a gay bathhouse, of course. Everybody's got their sipping cream. <laughs> That's all we do is sit, we on sip the, cream. sit on the porch and sip our sipping cream. Sipping cream pies. Appalachian sipping cream pies. <laughs> We're sipping cream pies. <laughs> I don't know what... What is sipping cream? I, ha- I have no is idea. Is it like churned butter? They're like, we made boozy butter. You could just drink it. It'll give you a heart attack in two years. <laughs> What the fuck is sipping cream? That you can put bacon in and a waffle? Oh, my God. And get shit-faced I'm going to say morning? this right here. I'm going to say this right here right now. And this is the last word on it. The last word. We have to stop this shit. We have to. We have to stop. If if it, if we got to stop making country music, that's just the price. That's just the cost <laughs> of doing business. What we have to do is we have to stop this This grotesquery this fetishization of <laughs> something that's not even real to begin with it was just designated like you know 80 years ago or something it is funny it's the same side of the coin that matt walsh invokes about authenticity yeah it's all consumer driven authenticity is itself a fetishized commodity it's yeah. not real if if they wanted real Appalachian sipping cream, it'd be like buttermilk with cornbread in it, like we used to eat when I was a kid. <laughs> it'd be like everybody would be salty as fuck. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah, want that yeah, shit. Yeah. 
Also, I can't imagine a worse way to start my day than getting shit faced on some <laughs> Appalachian <laughs> sipping cream and bacon. Just like 11 a.m. runs rolls around and you're just fucking hammered because you've drank an entire pint of Appalachian sipping cream from Eggos. <laughs> it's a hot day. I'll say, oh. <laughs> I can't honestly think of a worse. Yeah, there's not a, a worse way to start the day. I, there's certain things I think of like drinking Southern Comfort. Oh, yeah. Like I, I like I can still taste it and like mm-hmm. feel the gag coming. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is just disgusting. Well, that's the thing. You're not drinking Appalachian sipping cream at night. No, like, that's a day pursuit. That's a day. That's a, <laughs> well, guess. it's called brunch in a bottle, <laughs> y'all. There <laughs> <Egos>, goes y'all. <laughs> like basically, it's marketed specifically to alcoholics. It's like hair of the dog. Yeah, El Palo de Perro. Do you need a socially acceptable way to get shit-faced at 11 a.m.? We've got you, fam. Hey, we're just... We got you. We're just looking at us. We're just a simple waffle company. No harm can come from that. But I'm serious, though. We need to put a moratorium on country music, college football, just till we get this sorted out. It's bad, dude. It's all bad. It's gotten so bad. It's gotten out of control. It's reached a fevered pitch, you might say. It has. When when uh, some <laughs> dipshit named Oliver Anthony's trending over uh, Maui fires. <laughs> Dude, that's true. That's how you know it's bad. That is true. Some guy nobody gave two shits about three weeks ago. You're right. Like Ma- the the fires in Hawaii literally got like second or third place trending. Yeah. To that. It's going to be so. I kind of feel bad for this guy because when they're on to the next thing here in a few weeks, like he's going to have a severe identity crisis. You know what I mean? Like, I've wondered, and I don't think he's going to land on his feet as well as the yodeling kid. I've wondered that, though. <laughs> the yodeling kid, though. The Still yodeling kid. Ass. Had put out a record not long ago. The yodeling kid's not tied to any political uh, affiliate, right? Like, so he can do, he can do prog rock. And like that's a good marketable. That thing. man, hey, that man is. Look, come watch the yodeling kid do an eighteen-minute like flute solo song. Yeah, watch watch the yodeling. While kid. Robert Fripp noodles over. Yeah, it. watch the the yodeling kid cover cans Tago Mago <laughs> in its entirety. You can do that, but that guy's pretty hemmed in. What he does have going for him though, uh, is the whole right wing. Like, just look at all the mediocrities that get like. Uh, pushed to the surface in that world like Kyle Rittenhouse like is now famous for murdering two people <laughs> like this guy will probably he'll be he'll get a nice sinecure is that what they call it is a sinecure or something is that like a job is it like tenure but like I think so I, that's one of those words I always come across and I'm too embarrassed to admit I don't know what it means same same <clears throat> I would look it up but uh, if I open my computer again I'm going right back in front <laughs> this is <laughs> I can't open it. I can't. We might need to take the, his <laughs> laptop away. Oh, uh, man. All right. Go check out the Patreon. Hey, go check out the Patreon. What was that? What was the video that Cicada I was watching this morning? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. That was good. All right. Well, go check out the Patreon. We'll see all y'all later. We'll see all y'all later. We'll see all y'all later. Bye.